Welcome to Always Andersonville, the podcast. I'm Laura. And I'm Joelle. Today we are joined by members of Rivendale Theater and the cast of The Cake, Tara Mallon, Krista McNeil, and Tucky White. Rivendale is an intimate theater located at 5779 North Ridge and is constantly growing its mission to serve women artists and audiences in new and challenging ways. Jeff recommended The Cake is a part of Rivendale's 2018 season entitled The Reckoning, which explores the relationship between internal and external conflict and facing one's essential truth. The Cake is now showing through May 20th. Hello. How are you, all of you today? We're great. Thanks so much for having us here. Do you want to maybe just uh, introduce each of yourselves voice-wise for our listeners? Sure, sure, sure. My name is Tara Mallon. I'm the founder and artistic director at Rivendell Theatre Ensemble, and I am also playing the role of Della in our production of The Cake. Hi, I'm Tucky White, and I am playing Jen in The Cake. I'm Crystal McNeil, and I play uh, Macy, and I'm an ensemble member at Rivendell. So anyone can take this question, but Tara, as a founding member of Rivendell, can you tell us a little bit more about the theater? Yeah, we have a beautiful 50-seat uh, theater in the Edgewater neighborhood, right around the corner from Sen High School. We've been there for about six years now, but prior to that, we were itinerant, which means we bopped around the city um, for about 16 years. Uh, I founded the company with my husband, Keith, who also is in this production of The Cake, playing my husband, Tim. And um, I started the the company because when I first moved to Chicago from New York, I was a 20-something-year-old actress with my equity card, and I had a really hard time um, getting auditions. They just weren't available to me in the way that my husband was getting snapped up left and right. And after about six months of being really frustrated, I took my waitressing tips and I produced a showcase. The American Blues Theater had a wonderful venue on Lincoln Avenue and they offered to trade me the theater for a month in return for me running sound on one of their shows. And I don't know any other city where that kind of um, that kind of trade would ever happen, but that's really part and parcel of what Chicago is like. It's an incredible community. There is so much support for fledgling companies, and I, um, on the backs of many, many people, uh, with the support of many, many theater artists here in Chicago, where it was able to keep it going, and we began to hone our mission from the from the get go. I was really interested in offering women artists opportunities to work because I felt there was a real disparity in the amount of paying jobs for women versus paying jobs for men. And I feel really strongly that you cannot be competitive on the market if you haven't had the same opportunities to work and hone your skills. So from the get-go, we were looking at plays that not only looked at universal challenges through a feminine lens, but really interested in giving female scenic designers an opportunity to work and female producers and female sound designers. Um, That is as important to us as the work we're putting on stage. And then as we developed as a company, I became more and more invested in developing new work that was looking at, again, really imperative conversations that I thought we needed to be happen that we needed to have happen. Uh, But again, that we were looking at it um, through a feminist perspective. So I like to say that our theater is never exclusive. Men can see their own journeys in our plays, but we're always looking at it from the unique viewpoint of being a woman. 
particularly, I'm interested in how women navigate the workforce. Um, our first really big production was a play called Wrens, which was about women in World War II. It was written by a Rogers Park native named Anne McGravy, who served in the Women's Royal Naval Service. We produced it where Gus, uh, Gus Giordano dances. There used to be a little theater up there called Footsteps. Mm-hmm. 24 years ago and we produced this play Anne was at every rehearsal and at every performance it was really her story of what it was like to serve in world war ii and have an opportunity to work a man's job and then on on ve day while they were overjoyed that the war was over for so many of these women to be told to go on home was really devastating Um, So through the last, I'd say, 22, 23 years, we've been little by little investigating how women navigate that. So you're located on Ridge Avenue that borders the line between Edgewater and Andersonville. And you're one of more than 20 theaters that make up the Edgewater Theater District. Is there anything about this particular community that advances the theater's mission? It is so culturally rich between Andersonville and Edgewater um, and these, this incredible community or pastiche of theater companies that have all unique missions. It's, it's an incredible company to be a part of. And I'm sure you guys know we meet monthly with this group. We share resources. We share marketing opportunities. So that's been really exciting to be a part of developing that. But right where we are, we're in this incredible diverse neighborhood too. Edgewater is outrageous in the opportunities for artists and um, the residents are also really diverse. I have my daughters at Pierce, so I have some deep, I've developed some deep roots um, in the community that way. And it's just, I think too, for me, because we began here in Andersonville, it felt like coming home when we opened up our space. You know, I've always been, I've always felt at home on the north side. So it's exciting to be there. So theater allows the artist and the audience to address important social issues in a non-confrontational way. What has been the experience with the audience thus far in The Cake? And this is for all of you. Yeah. Why don't you guys, Crystal, what do you think about that? Um, I, I don't notice any tension. Um, I think the audience is reacting uh, really uh, well to the play, and they're, they seem to be really moved. Um, I don't think I've... I, I don't think I've ever seen so many people visibly moved after doing a show, like when the lights come up and everything. Um, and uh, and I, don't, I think the stories really resonate them no matter who they are. And it's, uh, it's definitely not confrontational. It's just, it's something that's really, that, that, that's really connected to, um, you know, from like the stage to the audience. It's, um, yeah, that's what I see. You know, it's been kind of interesting because at the end of the play, um, we invite the audience to join us on stage. We don't want to give too much away about that. But um, we uh, get a chance to really mingle with the audience um, immediately after the end of the play. And that's been sort of exciting for us too, right, you guys? Yeah. This play really gets at how polarized we've become and how when somebody believes something that's in opposition to what you believe, that we have lost the capacity to be able to talk about it. And the playwright wrote the play very much on purpose to have what she felt was uh, 
almost impossible conversation with her father, who was adamantly opposed to gay marriage as a state senator in Winston-Salem. And she was living in New York and um, just uh, felt like this was an opportunity for her to broach the subject. So, um, and, and Crystal, you can speak to this too. One of the things we, we're really interested in at Rivendell is in how we continue the conversation that the play is engendering beyond just seeing the play and how that happens in the lobby or in how we collect audience responses. And I, in doing the cake, we were thinking a lot about Women at War, which was a project Crystal was really involved in, and maybe you could talk just for a second about what happened at the end of that show and how we learned from that with the women with the cards. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, at the end of Women at War, um, women would write down, I guess, the things that resonated with them or, like, what touched them about the uh, the piece. Um, and that's, yeah, that's one of the things that we do at Rivendell. Like, I... I really love how the audiences always get an opportunity to share um, what it is that stands out with them. And you're always surprised by um, what people write down. It's never anything uh, generic and it's always this, um, it, it feels like a surprise, um, the stuff that people write down. And sometimes it's also like a little, these cards sometimes feel like a little diary. Um, and it's um i don't it, it's like a it's a real like opening up like I, I think people feel um the freedom to do that and i think there's something really special and rich about inviting the audience rivendell's tiny it's a really cozy space it's 50 seats and the artists that work with us tucky and crystal being two of them and my husband keith um and the scenic designer and the lighting designer and the costume designer are all really accomplished professionals and at our theater, you get to see them uh, two feet away from you. And then at the end, we invite you to come right on stage and be in the space with us. So I think we have the unique capacity to invite the audience to take a journey with us that you don't have when you go to the Goodman or Steppenwolf, where you're so far away from the stage, you can't really make out someone's features. It's a very different experience. But it's the same artists. All of our artists work at all the big houses, too. So it's exciting. I feel like you did something similar um, when I think it was Body Courage mm -hmm. and you did something similar at the end where you had the audience kind of write down, kind of I, uh, maybe it was shame-based, like yeah. what they would kind of get rid of, mm -hmm. you know, the thing they were most ashamed of and like kind of put it out there. And put it out there. Yeah. Yeah. We, we, we really, um, we're really interested in extending the conversations of the plays and we're always looking for how we utilize our lobby design and how we invite the audience to add their voice into the mix. We also do a series of town hall discussions during all of our productions. So on this one, the first one is uh, Saturday, May 5th and that's gonna be with some folks from Lambda mm. talking about the Masterpiece uh, Bake Shop which is kind of loosely in what this play is loosely inspired by. And that's the that's the court case in Colorado. Correct? Yes, that's the Supreme Court case about the bakers in Colorado who refused to bake the cake, a wedding cake for a gay couple. Mm -hmm. But there's also a really big uh, Lambda case going down right now. Uh, while it's not about cakes, it's similarly aligned uh, about a lesbian couple who was denied the opportunity to foster uh, some immigrant children. Um, so we're going to be discussing that 
and sort of the ramifications of that. And then on uh, May 19th, Saturday, May 19th, and these always happen after the 4 p.m. matinee, um, Dr. Johnson, who wrote uh, uh, Black Tea, which is stories of being black and queer in the South, and is a performance artist. He's also a professor at Northwestern, is going to be there to lead that discussion. So we're really excited about that, too. So, um, Crystal and Tucky, your characters are in a same-sex relationship in this play, but it is also interracial. With the play taking place in the South, is this another important storyline that affects the narrative of the play overall? You know, I it, it's it, it is part of the storyline. I don't think it's central to the play, um, and I think that that was intentional. Uh, it, it's it's referenced for sure, but but Della. Um, Tara's character isn't your, she's not your garden variety bigot. She doesn't have, you know, she doesn't have hate in her heart. She's a real, she, she's, she's just, um, the, the community that she is part of carved out the person that she is. So she's not, she's not a racist. Um, Crystal. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, yep. Yeah, what she said. Um, but yeah, I, it's not a um, like a it. It's a part of the storyline, but in a really like the the like the silent letter. Um, mm-hmm. But it like if you're paying attention, what it, it it like what Tucky said. What it does is it informs you that Della's not a hateful person, um, and it also it allows this conversation to happen. Like it opens the door um, to talk about like what you. What, what you do when it's, you know, because all right, here's the thing with racism versus like um, homophobia, like racism, it tends to be just like, it's this social, um, it's this social thing, like this social based hate. And homophobia tends to be more religious based. And, um, and when you're talking about religion, you're talking about people who are, um, they're afraid to question uh, God or, they're afraid to question um, doctrine. And so when you have someone like Della, she's, she's stepping towards questioning these things because she's, she's not a, a, just a, a hateful person. If, if Della was racist and, and Macy's uh, race had to, a, a lot to do with why she didn't want her and, um, I almost said Tucky, her and Jen mm-hmm. to be involved, then then it would be really hard to even have a conversation with this woman because you you just be like, or have a conversation yeah. about this type of relationship because you just be like, um, you you just wouldn't like her. Um. <laughs> and the playwright talks about that, right? I mean, we've spoken to Becca Brunstetter about why the character of Macy was written as a black woman. In the first draft mm-hmm. I read, it was not written that way. But the first production they did, they cast a black woman in the role. And Becca felt like it brought um, it brought to the forefront that, that Della really isn't racist, because it's never even addressed in the play, right? right. That that's not what this play is about. And by making Macy black, it, it clarifies that, that it really is about going up against her religious beliefs. And I, I love the way you said she's just terrified to question. And then what happens is she does begin to question it, probably for the first time in her life. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's the journey she goes on, you know? Yeah. 
So in your director Lauren's notes, she asks a couple questions. And one of them in particular is, how do we challenge each other's beliefs with respect and compassion? And do you feel like this play can accomplish that? Or is there a greater thought process behind how we as humans can question each other's beliefs with respect and compassion in our everyday lives? I would say um, one of the reasons I chose the play and Lauren and I chose the production is because we both feel very strongly that we have, as a society, begun to lose the ability to reach across the aisle. And I know personally, um, Della is very far from who Tara is. I grew up in New York. I went to a very liberal Brooklyn college. Um, I live in Chicago, which is this little bubble and in the theater world where everybody pretty much thinks about life the same as I do. And so when I come up against somebody who is perhaps, dare I say it, a Trump supporter or something like that, I immediately write them off. I immediately write them off. I don't wanna hear why, I don't wanna hear you know, what's going on in their lives. I just decide that they obviously are stupid and I no longer wanna have any conversation. And I don't think that's healthy and I don't, and, um, I don't think that is going to forward us as a society or as a culture. We have to be able to see why someone is coming from a different point of view than yourself. And I do think the play, that's what the play is getting at, that you have to approach people with love and empathy and understanding as to why they're coming up with something that is in opposition to what you believe. However, I need to say this really clearly, at the end of the day, the play is very much getting at that Della's wrong. She's not right. It's not right. Gay, gay marriage should not be contested. I just want to say that, that as the head of Rivendell, that is very much the viewpoint that we're coming at with this play. I mean, your character Della really does start to question yes. her belief system and everything that she's ever known is broken down. Absolutely. And, and she has to take a really hard look in the mirror and... Yeah. Yeah. But how do we do that coming from a place of love mm -hmm. as opposed to hatred and attack, right? And not just writing somebody off because they chose mm -hmm. to say something different than what you believe. Yeah. So Thursday, May 10th is your Blue Jean Gala at the Flower Firm. It's the Blue Jean Ball, <laughs> y'all. So tell us a little bit more about this very important fundraiser. It is our it is our biggest fundraiser of the year. It is at the Flower Firm, which is this awesome venue down in like West um, West Loop area, Fulton Market, sort of that area. And it's a they're a flower um, design company, but it's this huge warehouse. We've had our last four galas there. Um, for many, many years, way back when, when we were a younger company, every year our annual event was this Blue Jean Ball, which is a barn dance. So we have a band, we have a caller, we, we do a dance lesson so everybody can learn the dances first. There's a silent auction, we serve barbecue, we have a specialty drink, which is called the uh, Bourbon Daisy, which is really nice and it'll get you loaded on two of them. <laughs> and um, it's, we raise uh, probably about a quarter of our operating expenses for the year from it. And we haven't done it in 10 years. So this is the first time we're back to doing the Blue Jean Ball. It's a post-work event. You can wear your jeans. You can wear your cowboy boots. You can come and dance and have a couple of cocktails, eat some barbecue. We're going to have a pie-tasting contest. I just stopped over to First Slice yesterday. What's the record for number of pies eaten, do you know? 
Oh, or is this the first this time, the first you've time done we're it? doing it? I'm oh, so wow. exciting. It's so exciting. Do you want to make a pie for it? Joelle, come on. <laughs> I have a feeling you know, you know how to make a pie. Do you know how to make pie? Not the best person to make pies. I'm pretty good with cookies and maybe quiche. <laughs> quiche is sort of like pie. It quiche is. Quiche is a pie. I would eat that you more so that. than a right. So we're going to do pie. um we're going to do a pie bar and there's going to be a judge and uh uh judging the pies and that's obviously going to be the dessert bar and um this year our host is uh, M- uh Millie from Millie's Orchid Show, which is a character by Bridget Murphy. I don't know if you guys have ever heard of Millie's Orchid Show, but it's a Chicago institution for years. She worked with David Sedaris and Wilco and um, uh, at Park West she did them and she's done them at the Riv and it's going to be really cool. So she's going to be there doing the MC part and we give away the Ren Award, which is something that's really important to us, which support is in support of or acknowledgement of women that we feel are doing amazing work on behalf of women and children here in Chicago. So now we're going to hear a little scene from the cake. So Tara, do you want to just kind of set, set this it up? up for us? Yeah. So this is about half, mm, this is about three quarters of the way through the very first scene of the play. And what has happened is um, Della has, was out and in the beginning of the play, you see Della meeting Macy, who's Crystal's character, but Della doesn't know that she is here with Jen. Um, Della lives in Winston-Salem, has this little cake shop called Della's Sweets. And Jen is the daughter of her very best friend who, ha- who passed away five years ago. And Della hasn't seen much of Jen because for the last couple of years she's been living up in, um, up in uh, New York City. Oh, oh so, so, and then Della comes out and um, she gets introduced to Macy and this is what ensues. So, what are you up to this visit? Cruising for a wedding cake. You are getting married? I am. Oh, my God. I didn't, I didn't even know you were seeing anybody. Why <laughs> didn't know. you tell me? Oh, I just didn't. <laughs> Let me see that diamond girl. Give me that bling. Oh, you didn't want to use your mama's? I didn't want to take it just yet. Okay, that's okay. It's a beautiful ring. So, you doing it down here? Yep. Oh. <gasps> Your mama is dying all over again in her grave right now. She is watching, and she is so stinking mad that she's not here. <laughs> I'm going to make your cake. Oh, that would be amazing. Now, what if are your colors? Emerald and midnight blue. Like the earth itself. <laughs> <gasps> and where's the wedding going to be? Renolda Gardens. Where your mama and daddy got married. I can't. I cannot. <laughs> it makes sense to physically go through the departure on the land where you were born. It's such a rite of passage. You depart your family. And so... She's been reading a lot of bride books. I have. It's a thing. <laughs> it is. It is. Now, I want to hear all about him. <gasps> Do you still make that carrot cake? My mom used to get it for her birthday every year. Honey, I have a new and improved carrot cake that will make your very dreams beg for cream cheese frosting. What you think, bride? Incredible. Oh, we're both the brides. Beg pardon? We are both are. Oh! We both are. Oh. Macy's my... I'm sorry to spring it on you, but yeah, so... Well... Congratulations, you two. Thank you. When uh, when is the wedding? Six months. Wow. 
Okay. We want to do it in the fall before fall is no longer a thing, which really isn't that far off. The Pacific Northwest is basically going to crack off and fall into the ocean like soon. And I didn't want a super long engagement because I feel like that really dilutes the process. And so we're just kind of throwing it together. By which she means she has a wedding binder and multiple spreadsheets. I'm really into schedules and also Sharpies. And tabs. You love tabs. Love tabs. Well, uh, I think uh, that I... uh, October, is it? Yep. I know it's late notice. <laughs> I I should have called. She gets a lot of orders. Let me just... I got my own binder here. <laughs> <laughs> if you don't, I'm sure you're super busy. You know, you know what? I'm so sorry, but you're right. I think I... Uh, I think I'm all backed up around that time. A lot of fall weddings. It's a very busy time. Uh, uh, it's a favorite time for a lot of people. It's okay, I understand. A lot of people like that fall air. Apple cake, hot cider, all of that, jumping into those piles of leaves. Though my daddy told me that sometimes bad people hide knives in there, so you always must check first. Uh, yes, I think, uh, I think I have a lot of orders already for October, and it's very important for me not to overcommit myself. I pride myself on quality over quantity. So Of course you do. It's fine. It is so fine. We can get it somewhere else. Uh, it's not because, you know. We I, should I, probably I, get going to that next thing that we have to get going to. Jen. I'm so sorry. No, I'm sorry. It's totally fine. Well, it's stop back and see me whenever definitely. you. So thank you so much, Tara, Tucky, and Crystal for being here with us today. And thank you for listening to Always Andersonville, the podcast. If you want to learn more about the cake running through Sunday, May 20th, please visit Rivendell's website, rivendelltheater.org. And for show notes, please visit andersonville.org. Thank you so much for letting us be on your show. We're delighted to be yeah, here. Yeah, thank you so much. Yeah. Always Andersonville, the podcast, is engineered and edited by Andy Miles in Studio C at Transistor, a gallery, shop, performance, recording, and teaching space located at 5224 North Clark Street. Have your own podcast idea? The studio is available to rent. Please call 872-208-5877 or stop by the store for details.